Welcome to I Thought I Was Over This. I'm your host, Dr. Kimber, a licensed clinical psychologist, trauma healer, and fellow life journeyer. Every episode, we dive into the science of humaning. And whether you find yourself feeling like you've just hit an iceberg and don't know where help is coming from, or you're ready to trade in your raft for something bigger, you aren't alone. Grab what you need, get comfortable, and let's do this. I'm recording this episode on the eve of another school mass shooting, the 27th this year alone. This only 10 days after the racist shootings in Buffalo and also in Laguna Niguel. And I am here to talk to you about sleep. Seems like how unimportant. How are we supposed to sleep? How can we put our minds to rest after such violence again and again and again? The reality is that it can happen to any of us, but being on high alert against it isn't a way to live. In fact, it's impossible to live in such a way without developing some sort of hypervigilance or OCD or chronic anxiety, some type of rigidity or chaos, which in fact can show up relationally when we are cut off because emotions are in fact an inconvenience when it comes into survival outlooks. So here's the thing. It isn't a way to live. Maybe a philosopher would give us advice to embrace it. This fear of dying, we all have it. Some of us happen to have it at a younger age than others. I think all of our children, unless they're living in a very isolated or rural place, are aware of school shootings at this age. With all the social media Just this weekend, I was talking to an 11-year-old. He's exiting fifth grade, and he confessed to me, and I won't say his name because he didn't give me his permission, but I'm hoping he's listening to this, said to me that he's really afraid of dying, and he can't sleep with the lights off. We talked about how he has to trust his ears and his entire sensory systems in his body other than his mind, and to trust that if something was wrong, it would wake him up. See, his brain, our brains, aren't made to be semi-awake, which happens when we sleep with the lights on. And so he sat with that for about 24 hours, and he told me the next day, you're right about the ears. And I'm hoping, along with his mom, that he might be able to get some deep sleep in the coming months. See, we all have to sit and embrace on some level that we can't control many, many things. We can only show up and do our best and hope that it gets us through another day. Recently, I had the privilege to sit in on a group with a couple of former military guys. And as a tangent, because I do have clients who listen, I will never talk about my clients in a way that anyone would be able to identify them. And if I've done a good job 
my clients won't be able to identify themselves. However, this interaction was in a facilitation environment, and I'm definitely not going to say who they were, but if any of the group is listening, we know that we are all bound by confidentiality, so we won't be disclosing their identity either. It's not our story to tell. However, I want to mention this because they taught me that failure is never an option in the military, right? Growth mindset, we need to embrace failure. But when you're on the battlefield, you have to be alert and sometimes in hypervigilant mode. And it can take a good deal of time to transition back to civilian life. As Dr. Dan Siegel reminds us regularly what fires together, wires together. So when we transition from duty back to civilian life, we have to rewire our brain. For some of us, when we have a job that is dangerous or a first responder, what wires together at work doesn't work so much in the home. And so we have to have routines and ways to remind our brain to shift out of our vocation and into relationship and less intensity. I shared with them, these military guys, what we know about the neurobiology is when we hardwire our brain to always know the exits and what can be used as a potential weapon We are putting our neurobiology back into the battlefield. And what we want instead is when we are out for dinner, for a movie, for anything out in public, we're wanting to come back into civilian life to be less hypervigilant. And so what we have to ask our mind to do is to notice what is safe about the area. What I suggest is we take in a moment to see the exits. Do whatever you need to do momentarily. But then, and I really want to emphasize this, you have to shift your brain. Because when you do a sweep of that type of an assessment. It just puts a massive dose of cortisol into your system. And that sweep just contracted your muscles, dilated your eyes, and it will take a good 20 to 40 minutes to bring yourself back into a place of regulation most of the time. I love John Gottman's flooded research when he He talks about in the seven principles for making a marriage work, that when we are flooded, which is what we are when we do a sweep, we will flood our neurobiology to the place that we cannot immediately shift. And depending on how much testosterone you have in your system, it really can take us up to an hour. And the way that you will know that you have come back to safety is when you can take that deep, spontaneous breath. And this isn't something that you can will yourself to do by doing deep breathing. That doesn't work here. That doesn't work to shift your neurobiology. 
you have to have signs of discharge, which is something that you can't force to happen. So the deep, spontaneous breath is the most common, but you could have maybe a flash of warmth over your body, tingling. Sometimes we get momentarily lightheadedness. Those things are signs that you are passing the tension, the cortisol out of your system and shifting back into a place of safety. So what do you do when you've just put a bunch of cortisol in your system? Like doing an assessment, doing a a sweep, or even if you imagine a school shooter on your campus, you have to consciously ground yourself come back to the present moment. And that's why I have every other week recorded pause episodes. And these have the white raven on the cover because we have to practice coming back to center. We live in an age of violence all around the world. So we have to learn how to navigate this type of stress. My episodes one and two of pause teaches you some of the basics, some of the most important things, soften your eyes, soften your jaw, soften your hands. Even right now, take the tongue off the roof of your mouth and then notice your breath entering your body. Notice it through the nostrils. One of the best ways to breathe in fight or flight is through the nostrils because it's a natural way of slowing down your blood pressure. And then if it feels good, you can breathe out of your mouth. And I just want to talk something over with you. I kind of wrestle with counting breaths when you're in fight or flight because occasionally it can actually stiffen your body. Your body becomes focused on doing it right. And so if your breath is really shallow and you're forcing a deeper breath with the counting, then it can feel like you're bracing. And for some people, I want you to know they, it will work, but I want to kind of give you permission to play with it, to see what works for you. And one thing, if you like counting breaths that you could try is something like in, two, three, out, two, three, in, two, three, out, two, three. And then you can move on to a count of four. So in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, something like that. But keep reminding yourself, soften your eyes, soften your mouth. And here's the thing. You really have to start over if you keep looking to the exit door to make sure everything's okay. That's scanning. I want to tell you this, trust your plan seriously. Trust yourself. You really are doing yourself no favors if you've used up all your cortisol 
if you have an emergency, you want all of the cortisol available to you. So don't waste it in visualizations or worry or what if. Just trust. Keep coming back to your safety, your body. One of the pause episodes has kind of a nighttime SOS. And if you need help for how you can look around and assess a situation, maybe listen to that when you're listening and looking for cues of safety, looking for all the people that you see relaxing and enjoying themselves. That's what you need to notice. Mind training is connecting to your body and it's absolutely the ticket for navigating mental health challenges. So I promised you in episode one that I would talk about some of the ways if you are a first responder or military personnel, how I can help you, how you can help yourself and your body come back to baseline so you aren't doing what we call pseudo-regulating, trying to find baselines by using some sort of substance like alcohol because alcohol impacts your deep sleep. You can't get there. And it can feel like you're relaxing and calming, but on a neurobiological level, your whole system is still dysregulated. I learned about pseudo regulators in my resilience and regulation training with Stephen Terrell and Kathy Kane, and they wrote a book with the same title. And so there's lots of different ways that we regulate ourselves that aren't true regulators. So pay attention to those things that you're using, but you're still having high blood pressure or racing heart or migraines, headaches, Those are all symptoms, signs, can be, that your system is in chronic fight or flight. So as a whole, we really don't have the right training in this country. We can hear the body cam tapes of police where they're yelling and the adrenaline that is pumping through their veins is, and what's coming out through the nonverbals, the tone of voice, the posture. There's absolutely no thinking that can happen, only reaction. In order to think, we have to keep our heart rate in a certain range. And so I don't want to get into that, but what I do want to offer is when you have been in an incident, no matter what that incident is, where you feel like you have screaming, yelling, you may have felt in some way your life was threatened, If you've witnessed something, you've got to discharge the stress from your body. And again, this is going to take a minimum of at least an hour. And if you have had a really long, serious exposure to life-threatening things, it's going to take a lot longer. It might even take weeks. I just want to give you that permission. I want to give you that roadmap. It seriously takes a long time when we have had scary incidences. There's such a pull up your bootstraps mentality, which completely is so not scientifically related. I mean, that's just not how our neurobiology is. I'm saying that as someone who grew up with a lot of cowboys around. So 
All right, here's the thing. Check your heart rate monitor. If you have a heart rate monitor on, you've got to look. How high was your heart rate? It's going to give you permission. You got to discharge that adrenaline. Again, it can take weeks. And I want to say, if there's any researcher out there in the public sector, let's start analyzing the data. How long does it take? Let's start giving people permission to have calming techniques to not feel like a loser that their body can't get back to regulated states. We need to start normalizing this. So common thing, we exercise to discharge adrenaline. That's great. But you've got to have a down regulation period so that again, you are discharging your body You're getting that deep, spontaneous breath and you have got to engage your parasympathetic nervous system. Exercise and exhaustion is not enough. It doesn't trigger or it doesn't invite that parasympathetic nervous system. So here is where you can do counting breaths like the box breathing, four counts in, hold four counts, then exhale four counts. You can do deep breathing where you put a hand on your stomach and you feel your breath into your belly. Another way to engage the parasympathetic nervous system, put a hand on your chest, feel the warmth. Sometimes saunas, steam rooms, keep asking your mind to look at all the ways that you're safe when Your fight or flight part of your mind is going to want to replay what happened. Same thing when you write reports. When you visualize what's happening, which can happen when you're writing the report, it's like it's happening again. So keep grounding your body in the present moment. Take breaks if you need to. Look around the room. Identify your safety. Keep playing around with it and see if you can help yourself from getting re-triggered when you're writing the report. And again, my pause episodes are really meant to engage your parasympathetic nervous system. If you have a topic you want me to address in one of those, tell me, email me, I'll do it. I love helping people get more regulated. So the second scenario that I want to address in this episode is something that isn't always known unless you deal with this regularly, which is when you witness someone being seriously injured, when you witness a death, your body is going to go into fight or flight. I remember when I was in my mid-20s, I witnessed a pedestrian being hit by a car and he was okay. He actually did not tighten his body and he only suffered broken ribs. And, but I knew that, but every time I went by that spot, which was by where I lived at the time, so it was often, my body would literally shake. It didn't matter that I knew he didn't get hurt. I mean, of course his ribs hurt, but he didn't get seriously hurt. He was like discharged from the hospital. He didn't even have to stay overnight. It didn't matter. It literally took weeks for my bodily reaction to stop. See, our bodies are unnerved in the face of death. 
we have to come back to the present moment. In these incidences, these mass shootings that have been happening now for over a decade in the school shooting arena, it impacts so many people. It traumatizes so many people. So we've just got to have a roadmap of what's happening. And it does not take us telling ourselves it will pass. We want to have our minds come back to the present moment. Time will heal. It really doesn't in this way. It just makes the triggers unintegrated into ourselves. But when we come back to the present moment, like focusing on the senses, taste, smell, sounds, touch, what we're seeing, and taking in that we are safe, it really helps us get regulated. See, our minds and bodies are often disconnected, and we need to help them continually be connected. There are times because I have witnessed serious things. I live in a city, a large city. I've witnessed things over the decades I've lived here. And there are times when a siren, an ambulance siren, will literally start my body shaking because I'm having an unconscious response of a time when I was on an, a scene and I had witnessed someone getting hurt. I myself have mentioned before, I had a life-threatening episode where I wasn't hurt, but I rode in a police car immediately following, and I was shaking from the experience. And so I will sometimes shake when I see a police car, and it's been 20 years. And here's the thing. If I was a black male, there's absolutely no way I couldn't have an unconscious probably unwanted response to a police car. Every black man I know, which is many, has had some type of negative, potentially life-threatening encounter with the police. And it's a real visceral war to be in this world getting some regulation when we have these kind of traumas and burdens. So we've got to keep practicing groundedness. We can't exercise it out. Exercise is a great thing, but again, it does not engage the parasympathetic nervous system. We have to retrain our minds. I've talked about this before, but the neuroception system in our body that picks up whether we are safe or not, it is all below awareness. And so the older we get, the more experiences we get, the more things that we see, the scarier it can be to live in our body. And so we've got to keep coming back to I am safe in this moment. And I know I'm being a broken record here. But I, as somebody who was highly dysregulated, I can't tell you enough what the practice of being present has done for my whole system, 
even as I continue to encounter incidences that could be traumatizing. The reason trauma sticks is because we haven't moved the experience through our body. And if you are in a vocation where you are experiencing trauma after trauma, this is part of your vocation, self-care, moving it through your body. I think I'm going to leave it here. There is a lot that I could say. It's a massive topic. We need to do a better job of getting neuroscience and mental health information to all our emergency crews. From lifeguards to rugged mountain terrain rescuers, we need to learn how to regulate our body when we face terror and death. just want to say I'm just grateful that you're here. Thank you for taking me with you. Please share this episode with anyone you know who faces tragedy in their job, who needs to hear this. I also want to remind you I have a newsletter that comes out twice a month to find more ways to be calm, find hope, navigate the difficulties in your life. You can sign up at I thought I was over this.com. I'm cheering for us. We got this. And I'm just grieving for the communities all over the world who have been so impacted by gun violence. Until next time.